Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The air, you just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. And so that's a very tricky one. That's a very delicate one. Uh, it's also more deadly than your, you know, your even your strenuous flus. I wanted to always play it down. I still like playing it down. Yes, sir. Because I don't want to create a panic. President Trump, in his own words, in an interview with the legendary reporter Bob Woodward for his new book, Rage, acknowledging the risks of the coronavirus and saying that he was intentionally downplaying the pandemic earlier this year. A jarring statement, completely at odds with what he was telling the American people publicly around the same time. It's going to disappear one day. It's like Thank a miracle. God. It will disappear. Stay calm. Uh, it will go away. You know it. You know it is going away, and it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. They said, "Is this just like flu? Because people die from the flu." Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. And I'm CNN senior political reporter Nia Malika Henderson. Welcome to Politically Sound. Hearing these words from the president as close to 200,000 Americans are now dead is at the same time shocking and yet not at all surprising. It's all just part of the devastating portrait of President Trump's character painted in Woodward's new book. Character is on the ballot. That was a key message and a key theme at Joe Biden's convention just a few weeks ago. He has pitched himself as the moral opposite to what he sees as an incumbent without the proper character to be president. That's Donald Trump. But some voters are clearly still split over the makeup of their president, as these Arizona voters told CNN. He's a moral degenerate. I mean, deep down, I just don't think that he has the character that it takes to be any type of leader. To be honest, just because I think he truly believes in America and... I mean, the guy doesn't take a paycheck, so it's kind of like I think he tries to give back. So even as Woodward's book comes out as the campaign is entering its final stretch here, the question has to be asked, will Biden's focus on Trump's character be a successful game plan? In this episode, we're going to break down what these questions of character and of leadership mean for this election that's being waged in the middle of an unprecedented crisis. And after five years of revelations about Trump's moral makeup, will this be enough to make Biden's principal pitch persuasive to voters? Nia, let's jump right into it. Coronavirus is the dominating factor in this election, clearly. And I'm wondering if you think, will any of this change how the president's supporters view his handling of the virus or his ability to lead more generally? 
Well, it depends on which supporters, right? There are the sort of ride or die Trump supporters who are almost like, you know, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, it's almost like they're members of a cult and just sort of a cult in the sociological sense as a group of people who are devoted uh, to a leader. So those types of folks are going to be with Trump no matter what. They will parrot his talking points on this. They will parrot whatever sort of defense he gives and kind of smearing of Bob Woodward. So those folks are are with him. Then there are other folks, and we've seen this in the polling, some of the voters that he is shedding, right? Older voters, some white working class voters as well, and then those swing voters. Those are the folks who are telling us in focus groups, telling us in some of the polling, they don't like Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus. Uh, They don't like his tweets, which in some ways is sort of a catch-all for character, for his leadership, uh, and for his behavior. So that's, I think, where this hurts him. If you think about Donald Trump as somebody who's sort of underwater in terms of how he's doing in handling coronavirus, this isn't exactly a lifeline to him at this point. It's more like an anchor. I think it'll continue to hold him in place underwater with those voters who are already skeptical, already thinking uh, that there might be a better choice out there. I wonder, David, how you see this. Uh, You know, one of the parallels I think about is the 47% remark from 2012, which was Romney caught on tape from a fundraiser basically saying that 47% of Americans uh, would never vote for him. They were dependent on the government. And it just underscored what Romney's problems were, right? This idea that he was out of touch. He was just a rich guy who couldn't relate to the problems of average Americans. I think this in the same way functions for Donald Trump in the same negative way. Yeah, the difference, I think, with the 47% tape, which I understand your point, part of the appeal and penetration of that was the caught-on-tape aspect. Donald Trump's not caught on tape here. He sat down for an on-the-record interview with one of the country's preeminent journalists to actually be recorded saying these things. And here's the real difference, obviously. That was dealing with sort of the economics of our society. This is dealing with 190,000 people dead due to this virus and that lives uh, may have been saved. But to your point, Nia, about the various slices of his base, you know, I always look in every poll to sort of look at his overall approval rating and then look at his approval rating on coronavirus. There's not much difference. In other words, it's not like Republicans are fleeing him on the coronavirus and giving him a big thumbs down there, but support him overall. You rightfully note where we've seen erosion in his 2016 coalition. There is no doubt that the erosion we do see is connected to his handling of this. What I am so eager to see in terms of its political impact is how much the Biden campaign leans into it. They are leaning in on this first day after the Woodward bombshell. And, you know, Joe Biden obviously sat down for an interview with our colleague Jake Tapper. I went with Jake to Michigan for this interview yesterday with the former vice president. It's disgusting. We learned this on the day that we turned 190,000 Americans dead. And he knew this. This caused people to die. And what did he do the whole time? He, he, he waved a white flag. He walked away. He didn't do a damn thing. Think about it. Think about what he did not do. And it's almost criminal. He is clearly of the mind that, not that he didn't think this before, but that the Woodward interview 
actually disqualifies Donald Trump from the job of president of the United States. With every Donald Trump bombshell, Nia, one of the first things I always sort of ask myself is, what's the new information here for voters that they didn't already have about Donald Trump that can actually move them from a position they've had, whether support or opposition, to a new position? I don't think that we're necessarily learning something new about Donald Trump's character, but I think that because this is this is not the Access Hollywood tape. This is not this is related to everyone's health and safety. It's not some disconnected moment from people's everyday lives. He's talking about downplaying something that caused lives to be lost and that is related to what every American is thinking about every day because it's impacting their lives. I think that's right. Before voters who were maybe just loosely attached to Donald Trump, they voted for him in 2016. Maybe they did it reluctantly. Maybe they did it uh, for the Supreme Court. They didn't like that he tweeted. They didn't like that he lies a lot, but it didn't affect their lives, right? They're, they're, they could sort of just dismiss it and say, oh, you know, we, we wish he wouldn't tweet so much. We wish he uh, was more honest. But now you see that connection. What may have offended them before now clearly is showing up and affecting their lives in very real ways, in ways that they can articulate, in ways that they're experiencing every single day. You think about the moms and dads who are at home juggling work uh, and having to have their kids go to school virtually because the schools are closed. And so that's why I think uh, we often say, listen, things are baked into, into the cake. People know who Donald Trump is. But this is new information that people can so easily process. And it's so easy to just get because you hear the president on tape saying something very different from what he was saying publicly. This is what makes campaigns so unpredictable. Who would have thought this was going to happen in this election, this crazy election year where so much is happening, this unforeseen bombshell that Bob Woodward uh, is revealing in this book now coming in the middle of this election with about two months to go. Yeah, I agree with so much of what you just said. The one thing that sort of sits in the back of my head always ever since 2016 and it relating to Donald Trump is, do we confuse, we in the media, we in sort of the Washington political bubble, do we confuse this outrage and this chaos for motivating voters in their choices when it comes time to cast a ballot. Like you and I said, this connects obviously to something everybody is experiencing. But the thing that always sits in the back of my head is, okay, it does connect to something everybody's experiencing. Does it actually change or uh, motivate their vote choice? And of course, it's an unknowable until you see the vote choices. So I get that I'm asking that, but, but that always sits back in my head to make sure that we don't make that assumption because we won't know the answer to that until the ballots are cast and counted. I think that's right. All right. When we come back, we're going to hear about the president's comments related to the military and what they could mean for his election. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back. In addition to the coronavirus response, Woodward's book also contains on-the-record quotes from military and intelligence leaders about the president's character. But those questions were already front and center after reports emerged last week about the president disparaging the military in the Atlantic. Here's CNN's Brianna Keeler to tell you about her experience as a military spouse and what this question of the president's character means to military families. I don't know what it's like to go to war. I don't know what it's like to risk it all. But I am a military spouse. And like a lot of other military family members, I have this view to it that the vast majority of Americans don't have. Only 0.4% of Americans are serving currently in the armed forces. Before my husband deploys, and he's been on seven combat tours, I've been through two of them with him. He has this ritual that's familiar to a lot of service members. He sits down, he's poured himself a bourbon, and he writes letters. He writes one for his adult daughter. He writes one for each of our little boys. He writes one for his grandma who raised him and for his family in Texas. And then he writes one for me. This is something that he does alone. It's a solitary process. But the last time that he wrote these letters at our dining table, and I can see him in my mind doing this, I walked by him on my way to the kitchen, and I could see that he was crying as he was writing. Now, thank God he returned home safely, and the letters went unread. I actually found them in the bottom of a desk drawer last week while I was packing up our house to move, and they were sitting there still sealed shut, with do not open unless I'm gone written on them. These were letters that were on my mind when Jeffrey Goldberg's article in The Atlantic came out, talking about how President Trump had called American Marines killed in World War I losers and suckers. I've been talking to many members of the military and a lot of military family members who say that these comments reportedly made by President Trump sparked a lot of pain for them. It really triggered me as a widow. It triggered me as a veteran. That's Kate Wyatt. She's a Marine Corps veteran herself, but she's also a Gold Star wife. I absolutely discourage political moves using veterans and are killed in action and POWs as a leveraging chip or bargaining chip or um, bid for a re-election. I was instantly furious. Her husband, Corporal Derek Wyatt, died in Afghanistan in 2010. Her husband's platoon leader was First Lieutenant Robert Kelly, the son of the former Homeland Security Secretary and the former White House Chief of Staff and retired Marine General John Kelly. 
And it was over his grave, over Robert Kelly's grave, that the president reportedly said, quote, I don't get it. What was in it for them? He doesn't get it. He's made that very clear. He doesn't get why people say, send me, or how much they love their country, that they are willing to put it all on the line. And it's something that the president has shown over and over. He just doesn't understand. All the way back to those comments that he made about Senator John McCain in 2016. I'd never liked him as much after that, because I don't like losers. <laughs> but, but, Frank, He's Frank, let me get hero. to it. He hit me. Hero. He's not a war hero. He's a war hero. He's a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. What I think has become increasingly clear over the course of the Trump presidency is that members of the military appear to be on his mind only when they serve a purpose, and that is popularity by association. They are America's most esteemed institution. And for Trump, the military is really this muscle that he can flex. And we see him do that time and again. We saw him do that when he included National Guard into that bigger federal law enforcement presence that was outside of the White House pushing back peaceful protesters. But what's also become clear to me is that the military is not nearly as important to Trump when you have the transaction going the other way, when they need him. Like when Russia reportedly placed bounties on the heads of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. They were paying the Taliban to kill U.S. soldiers, and the president didn't even bring this up when he spoke with Vladimir Putin. This idea that service members who have been killed in war are suckers or losers, as the president reportedly put it, it offended so many military and military family members because they know that that is just not how war works. I have been thinking about this story that my husband told me a while ago, and it was about one of his friends who was a total badass. <laughs> That's how he would describe him. They were in Argandab, Afghanistan, and this was during a particularly hairy time in the war. And on this day, as my husband would alternate patrols on opposing days with his friend, it was his friend who went out on the patrol, and he was killed. Because in war, it doesn't matter if you're squared away. It doesn't matter if you're the best soldier. It doesn't matter if you're a badass. Death is often random. And the people that we have lost, they aren't losers. They're just ordinary people who did this extraordinary thing. They answered the call. And the ones who come back, they're survivors. They are fighting for normal lives that so many of us take for granted. And they are dealing with these scars that you can see and these scars that you can't see. And their sacrifice is sacred. It shouldn't be politicized. And I think that is what so incensed people like Kate Wyatt, especially when she saw a picture for the first time this week of the president at Arlington National Cemetery. It was a picture from back in 2017. And she saw that he was standing alongside her husband's grave. I can't say enough that you can't stand on the graves of better men who fought and died for this country while you rip apart that country with your incompetence. There is this question about whether these military voters will have any effect on the 2020 election, or if maybe it's just this controversy could sway moderates who maybe don't even have a military connection, but they have very strong opinions 
about how the military should be treated. I am a relatively new military spouse. I was on the other side of this just four years ago, and I did not have a very developed understanding of why people go to war and why they take these risks and why they sacrifice to serve. But one thing that helped me was a book by a war correspondent, Sebastian Younger, called Tribe. And he writes, what would you risk dying for and for whom is perhaps the most profound question a person can ask themselves. The vast majority of people in modern society are able to pass their whole lives without ever having to answer that question, which is both an enormous blessing and a significant loss. And to me that a commander-in-chief who is responsible for the lives of these American men and women, that he has never contemplated this question to its various conclusions, is a shame. Our thanks to Brianna for sharing that incredibly powerful and important message. It's just amazing to see bombshell after bombshell, controversy after controversy. It is the defining characteristic of the Trump presidency, and that continues with just less than two months to go before Election Day. Yeah, David, it really has been another crazy week. What is your big takeaway to help folks out there make sense of it? We've been talking so much uh, this episode, Nia, about the president's character and about Joe Biden wanting to make sure that character is on the ballot. You know, I keep thinking back to 2016. Hillary Clinton tried very hard to put Donald Trump's character on the ballot. It didn't work because of perceptions of her own character flaws with the American people. That's not the case for Joe Biden. So there is a big difference when people sort of say, hey, all this character stuff in 2016 did not work. You know, one of the big differences is the perception about the Democratic nominee with the American people between 2016 and 2020. And what we see in so much of the polling when, you know, that segment of the population that tells us they have an unfavorable opinion of both candidates, that was a group that took a flyer on Donald Trump in 2016. They had spent a couple decades with Hillary Clinton having an unfavorable opinion of her. And so they sort of went with Trump. And that was a critical piece of his electoral equation uh, that was successful. Now, those voters that think unfavorably about both Joe Biden and Donald Trump, Joe Biden is winning them overwhelmingly. So whatever the negative sensibility about Joe Biden is for those voters, it's not enough to want to rehire President Trump because of them. How about you, Nia? What are your takeaways from the week? No, I I think that's right. Biden, as a candidate early on, as a Senate candidate, always thought that elections were about personality and perception. I thought his interview uh, with Jake Tapper expressing real outrage, he seemed to be really speaking emotionally and and from the gut. That was a good, I I think, way to turn this into a real moment for him. And I think you're going to see them obviously already uh, make ads using the president's uh, words against him. What we don't know is if there is anything like the bombshell that happened to Donald Trump, is there anything out there <laughs> about Joe Biden in a similar way? Certainly maybe not as terrible in terms of character because he just has had a, a different kind of public life than Donald Trump. But that was what was so jarring, I think, about this week. The bombshell from this book, how unpredictable 
this campaign has been. And you have seen in Joe Biden run a pretty steady race. He's benefiting, I think, from Donald Trump basically punching himself in the face over and over again on any number of issues, particularly COVID, also race. It was also always unclear to me what kind of race he would run uh, when things got tough for him and the scrutiny uh, was more on him. We haven't seen that yet. You know, we've got two months to go. So we'll, we'll see where he goes with this. But my goodness, what a week we have seen in this campaign. And we'll see what comes next, not only for Donald Trump, but also for Joe Biden. But it's getting late early. People are starting to vote. Ballots are starting to go out. And to your point, it seems to me that there is one more major test for Joe Biden, and that is going to be at that first debate at the end of September, when tens of millions of Americans are going to tune in for one last sort of sizing up. I know there are debates after that, but that first debate is going to be so critical because of the early voting process and where we are and how many Americans will be casting their ballots around that first debate. And I just think that if he passes that test, sized up against President Trump in that moment, my God, it's hard to see what could emerge in the final month after that first debate that would upend the trajectory of the race. But, you know, I could have said that four years ago and then Jim Comey reared his head. So who knows? But (laughs) but uh, to your point, I do think there is still of the known things. There's still this one big, huge test that Joe Biden has to pass. And we'll see uh, in the coming weeks how he does in that debate. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks for listening. If you could take a few minutes to give us a rating and a review, we would very much appreciate it. And please subscribe if you haven't already, wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutessa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makisha is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo is the team's production assistant. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you all next week. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.